podcast has bad words. <laughs> All right, patrons. Actually, this is for the true fans. That's Ryan. right. This is Ask the Minimalists number 21. Now, we, uh, you, you send in your questions. The true fans send in their questions here. Yep. You upvoted your favorites. However, I have a caveat. Um, there were several, surprisingly, like all together, a bunch of people asked business-related questions. Oh, interesting. Now, Ryan, you're going to be gone next week, but Paul Jarvis is going to be in here. Yes. And so um, he just wrote a book called Company of One. So for our true fans, I wanted to prioritize your business questions with a with a business expert. And so <laughs> Paul Jarvis will be in here, and we're going to answer. If you had a, a question about business that you asked for this, uh, this is including questions from Kareem, Abigail, Derek, Levi, Stacy, Lindsay, and Madeline, or Madeline, I suppose. Um, then we're going to wait for Paul to answer those questions with me. That's a good so, idea. So uh, we'll give you better answers that way. So we pick the other most upvoted questions. The first one here is from uh, Natalia. Could you maybe talk more about minimizing relationships when you are the to- when you are the toxic person in the relationship? Ooh. Maybe talk about how to lower expectations and raise standards when the relationship is already compromised and you always feel discontented. Now, here's the thing. This is actually the best version of a toxic relationship is when you're the toxic person. And you can recognize that. Right, because not only do you recognize it, you can reconcile it, right? You can, you can, it's easier for you to fix yourself than it is for you to fix somebody else. Exactly, it's like, when I realized that all of my, uh, you know, my failed partnerships, like it was really on me, like it wasn't on them, like it's, it was, but once I was able to see that I could fix the way I behaved in relationships and now like I have the best relationship I've ever been in. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like there's thunder up there. <laughs> so what's going on right now? Sound effects. So, oh. so yeah, um, so how do you minimize relationship? Natalia, you may not have to minimize the relationship. Exactly. Yeah, that's you. good news. If you're the toxic person in this whole thing, you need to figure out what is toxic. What, and, and usually it manifests in, in, in several different ways. I, I noticed one of the big ones is passive aggressiveness. Yeah. I, I was at Whole Foods yesterday, and there was like a father, and I assume it was his like teenage son together. And... Um, he actually, they seem to have the same rule that I have, which is if it's not on the list, I don't buy it. Even if I forgot to put it on the list, Mm -hmm. I intentionally make it inconvenient for, for me to buy the thing. However, um, he, he had the same rule with his, his child, obviously, or his teenage son, because his teenage son was like in the hot sauce aisle looking at all these hot sauces. And, and instead of saying, hey, we didn't put it on the list, so you know we're not going to buy it because we don't buy things that are on the list, that helps us save. You're explaining why. It helps us save money and time, and we're not wasting the resources. It makes us be more intentional with our, our grocery shopping experience. Instead, he goes, uh, it's not on the list, just saying. And it's like this weird sort of passive-aggressive thing, mm, just saying. Yeah. Uh, and so I think toxicity often manifests in the uh, as a passive aggressive statement or gesture. It can also manifest in sort of the cold shoulder, like I'm going to ignore you, right. um, or it can manifest very directly: uh, outrage, anger, yelling, screaming, throwing things. Yeah, creating uh, drama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if we're creating that drama, the first step is to stop, stop the behavior, right? Yeah. And then. The next stop is what do I replace that toxic behavior with? How do I show love, 
care, support, understanding, compassion. Yeah. I think it starts with tolerating the other person's behaviors and then it goes toward appreciating, uh, respecting, and accepting that person for, for who they are. Yeah. Lori asks, my bedroom needs a major clean out, but so does my basement. I feel I need to work more on my bedroom first because I spend a lot more time in there and the clutter is weighing me down. The problem is that my bedroom has more sentimental stuff in it than the basement. And you've recommended building up my minimizing muscle by begin by getting rid of non-sentimental items first. What are your thoughts? Uh, I think that's true, Ryan. Like, yeah, you don't want to start with the what are the most difficult things yeah. for me to get rid of because then you just have paralysis, right? Yes. I Yeah, I think so. I mean, when I think about the stuff I put off the longest, it was sentimental stuff. And it's because I didn't want to face the sentiment. I don't want to have to face getting rid of those, those physical items. Um, man, I, I will say though, eventually though, you do have to start getting rid of some of that sentimental stuff. Right. And so I think the, the short term solution is if you want to deal with your bedroom first, you, you start to, you pack up all the sentimental items. Don't get rid of them. Mm -hmm. Know that you're not getting rid of them. You do a little packing party for that stuff and you just set it aside for now. Maybe even put it in your basement for the time being. Yeah. And then once the sentimental items are out of the way, you'll realize that first off, many of those things you identified as sentimental items, they're not actually sentimental items. Right. You, the, by the way, that's the, tr that's the truth with all of these things. The things only have the meaning that we give to them. Mm -hmm. They only have the importance that we give to them. They only have the significance that we give to them. But, but by getting those the most precious items out of the way, then you realize like, oh, these other things aren't very precious at all. Mm -hmm. I can, it's easy for me to get rid of these other things that are in my room. And then once you've decluttered the room, and give yourself an appropriate amount of time. Maybe you do a packing party just for your room. Mm -hmm. You do you box up everything in your room, unpack only the items you need over the next 21 days. And at the end of that, you're like, okay, now, what sentimental items do I want to bring back into this room? What are the ones that I miss? What are the ones that bring me the most joy? Bring those in. And then as Ryan said, you can give yourself permission to let go of those other ones that you thought were sentimental. Yeah. I mean, Lori, I guess the question I would start with too is like, are these sentimental items stressing you out? It sounds like they are. Yes, your room is cluttered and a lot of those things are sentimental. But you know, there are some people who have a lot of sentimental items and it doesn't stress them out. The only reason it stresses them out is because you and I talk about getting rid of our sentimental items all the time. But Lori, I mean, if you don't feel that way, if, if you are uh, just going off of what, you know, how Josh and I uh, treat our sentimental items, then, you know, that's probably approaching it for the wrong reason. Like this is minimalism is everyone's own journey. So uh, Lori, like do what is appropriate for you. I, I love the idea of doing the packing party because yes, that'll help you figure out what is truly appropriate for, for your, your situation. And I think the, the nice thing about, about sentimental items here is you'll realize that you get far more value in having fewer sentimental items because then those things, they really do trigger the memories we want them to trigger. I think about it this way. Like if I, what if I had 10,000 sentimental items? Mm. If everything is precious, nothing is precious. Yeah. And I think we have to realize that by having fewer precious items, all of a sudden, we can actually prioritize the things that are special to us. Totally agree. Because if everything is special, then nothing is special. Rochelle asks, how do I find new friends for my tribe in real life? I've always struggled with making friends, and I'd like to find more people that support my vision and values. You know, this is... I have easy... I have a simple, easy answer, but I just want to preface it with, Rochelle, it takes a lot of hard work to find your tribe. Mm. I mean, um, 
you can do things like you can go to meetup.com. But let's say you go, I don't, let's just say where she's from, but like in LA, if you go to meetup.com, I mean, there's, you know, 1,200, 2,000 different groups that range from knitting to computer programming to, you know, antiquing. I mean, there's just any any flavor that you pretty much want here in LA. Um, the, the problem is, is almost this like overwhelming choice of which groups to try out. I know with Mariah, she was just trying to find a, a programming group to kind of join up with and just having the vast amount of options of the, of the computer programming of the coding groups, it was hard for her to make a choice because she didn't want to make the wrong choice. But what you have to accept Rochelle is that you're going to make wrong choices. If you put yourself out there, like you may go to a group and you might be like, Oh, you know what? This was the wrong choice. That's okay. You've got to make a few wrong choices or you've got to put yourself out there and, and maybe, um, I don't want to say fail because sometimes failures can lead to success, meaning you go to a group, you know what you don't want. And by proxy, you will start to figure out what you do want, yeah. but you do have to put yourself out there. It takes a lot of work um, and you are going to have to go through some uncomfortable uh, group gatherings to really find your tribe. But you know, the best way to do it is, yeah, you've Lori, you got to, uh, I'm sorry, Rochelle, you've got to, you got to put yourself out there. You have to put the work in and it is a lot of work to find your tribe. It doesn't happen overnight. So she wants to find people that will help support uh, support her values and her vision. Mm. I don't think it starts with those things. I think ultimately you'll get there, but yeah. it, it starts with interest. So Absolutely. the meetup.com stuff is a great place to go. In fact, we had uh, one or two patrons mention meetup.com. In fact, the next question is from Amanda is, uh, are there dating apps for minimalists where we can find someone with similar values? <laughs> and I, again, I think the same thing here. So I'll answer Amanda's question in tandem with Rochelle's question is, I don't think it starts with the values right. because those are the hardest things to uncover. Most of us, if I were to say, what are your values? Man, that's really hard to unpack. So if you if you need a values worksheet, my wife, uh, Rebecca, uh, the uh, minimalwellness.com slash value. She has a one-page PDF there for free. You can just fill it out with people you care about. But it, I don't What are they doing next door? <laughs> Dude, so, we ordered those sound effects. <laughs> Did I not tell you that? The order came through. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, I think we need to go. Anyway, well. No, uh, it's, I think it's fine. It's fine. It's yeah. Done. All right. So the, the, it doesn't start with the values. It starts with your interests. And yes. so what are, what are you interested in? Because you find people with common interests. You have common things to get excited about. And you can start to understand that person. And as you start to understand someone, you start to uncover what their values values are um the last thing i'll say about this is uh don't settle for the wrong choice so ryan i, I can't do this this is unbelievable what is going on next go door ask, go ask yeah. to pause this for a sec and we're back all right i think we got the noise situation settled all right Man, so i had to put him in a headlock <laughs> it was awful all right but but going back to uh rochelle and amanda's question like yeah it starts with the interest i totally agree josh and there's not this there's not an app there's not a magic app that is going to fix everything there's not one particular dating website there's not one particular uh you know meetup.com may not be the answer there's not one particular group on meetup.com that's going to be the answer uh we, we have to go out there and do the hard work i mean when i met mariah I mean, I, I can't tell you how many dates I went on until I found Mariah and I wasn't willing to settle for anything less than, than a partner that I really, really enjoyed and loved. And it took me a little bit to get there and it was a lot of work, but I'm so happy I put the work in. Now, uh, I'll, I'll tell you too, 
if instead of going, let's say you don't want to go to meetup.com, find different community activities that is that are near you that you like to partake in. I mean, when we lived in Missoula, man, I loved being around creative people. So I went out of my way to find creative people. And eventually that led to me being in a play and it was amazing. And I have some very, very good friends um, that, that I still have to this day from uh, who I met doing that play. In fact, I don't know if you know this, Josh, but I'm one degree of separation away from being in a movie with uh, Kirsten Dunst. Because <laughs> I was in a play with Lily Gladstone. That's right. Who did a movie with Kirsten uh, called, uh, I think it's called Certain Women. Um, but anyway, it's just, if I didn't put myself out there, then I would have never have had that cool experience. I never would have... Uh, made some cool friends, um, but yes, it takes a lot of work. I, I think that the uh, we often, as you said, we're going to make wrong choices, and I think what happens is all of a sudden he's like, "Well, I've invested two months into this friendship, relationship, whatever. I guess I have to stick it out." No, it's okay to move on. Yes, uh, it's okay to graduate from a relationship. In fact, I mean, think about uh, not many people have friends they were friends with in kindergarten they're still friends with, and. That's for a reason. People grow in different directions. But that's okay. for some reason, we feel like as adults, we can't do that. Well, it's hard sometimes when the person that we're in a relationship with really depends on us for you know, happiness or, uh, or companionship or whatever it may be. And we get, and I know personally, like I get caught up or I used to get caught up in those one-sided relationships. But you know, if we get caught up in those one-sided relationships, you know, we're not just doing ourselves a disservice, but we're really doing that other person a disservice because we're not being genuine. We're not right. being honest with them. And then other people don't want you to be their crutch. Mm-hmm. Even if it feels good in the moment, when when you step back and take a more objective point of view, no one wants to be fully dependent on someone else. Mm-hmm. And if you're enabling that, then you're actually part of part of the problem. Yeah. And so the way that we can do that is we find relationships where we, we start with the similar interests, then we figure out what their beliefs are, then we figure out what their values are, and hopefully we do have similar interests, we do have similar values uh, as that other person, and maybe even some similar beliefs, but we're dependent on each other in a way, the same way two dancing partners are dependent on each right. other. Can you dance by yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you can dance with someone else as well. And that's the best sort of relationship where you can dance on your own. Mm-hmm. You're not required to be there for the other person to dance. Mm-hmm. That's when you both thrive because then when you come together and dance together, then it there's an interplay that is beautiful. But if you have to pick them up and dance with them, then that doesn't feel good for either one of you. Yeah, absolutely. Our next question is from Paul. He said, when do you think, what or what do you, what do you think are the warning signs, the symptoms that we can notice when our time and attention aren't lining up with our values? Uh, I think the biggest thing for me, and this was, man, I was in Sedona, just this past week, uh, first vacation and like real vacation in nine years, I think. Mm-hmm. I've been on other vacations where I was like, vacation was like, well, I'll only work three or four hours today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have realized I'm so much better at fasting than I am dieting, so to speak. And the same is true with vacations, right? Mm-hmm. Like I had no computer with me. I went days without even touching my phone. Where we were staying, there was no uh, cell phone signal unless you were like this one little area so like you couldn't even get cell phone signal Mm. their internet sucked there was like one computer there um it was it was amazing but i also realized how 
I'm very intentional with the way I live my life, but there are still distractions that have crept in. Yeah. And what I'm going to be doing this week, so this is really valid here, uh, Paul, here's something I'm doing. You may want to do it with me. And Ryan, you might want to do it with me too. Okay. Um, I am making a list of all of my distractions. Mm. And I, I realized this, that I have so many distractions that have crept back into my life. Yeah. I think the happiest year of my life was also paradoxically one of the most difficult, but one of the most simple years of my life yeah. was... Well, maybe a, not difficult, but uncomfortable. No, I mean difficult. Okay. It was difficult because it required difficult work. Mm -hmm. It was when we were living in Missoula, I guess I was 31 at the 32, somewhere around. I was 32, 33. Yeah. Um, and I we didn't have home internet. I didn't have... Um. Well, I think back even further back to Dayton. Like, well, so in Missoula, we didn't have a TV. Right. Uh, the apartment I moved into here in California just has a TV, mm -hmm. and so I I probably watch it one or two hours a week mm -hmm. unless the basketball unless NBA playoffs are on and Utah Jazz are playing, which mm -hmm. they just lost in Game Five last. Oh. Yeah, it's uh, they're out of the playoffs now. Sadly. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, I I only watch it one or two hours a week, which doesn't sound like a problem. But here's where the real distraction is. Hmm it becomes a choice. It becomes part of that paradox of choice where I'm yeah. like, oh, do I want to read or watch TV? And it makes me have to like think about it. Yeah. Whereas if it's not an option, I don't have to think about it. This damn iPhone that's in my pocket has become a distraction Absolutely. for me. And so I've this week tried to go back to, to a BlackBerry because I was never distracted by, by my BlackBerry because there's no apps on it really. It just does texts and phone calls. And yeah. um, and I actually wrote a lot on, on my BlackBerry. I used it as a tool. Mm. Uh, in fact, um, this book right here, most of this book was written for first draft. So very rough draft was written on uh, my BlackBerry. And so I found I was more productive. Now, there was a lot of hard work that happened that year. I was working uh, 12 hours a day writing sometimes, but I found it to be more meaningful than the distractions. So for me, it's making a list of those distractions. And then for me, it's, it's figuring out how can I eliminate those? Mm. It's TV. It is internet at home and Bex and I have been having some conversations about getting rid of the internet at home again. Yeah. She's never lived without internet at home, but uh, could see how it would be beneficial and she's willing to experiment as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe we try it for a month. That's what I end up doing. I tried it for a month. It ended up being five years without internet at home. Yeah. And so you can experiment for a short period of time, removing the distractions and then slowly bring them back in, but do so intentionally and cautiously. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think the warning signs are, are you experiencing anxiety? Are you experiencing discontent? Because when I think of the times in, in, when I was most discontented or when I was experiencing the most angst, it was because my time was not aligning with my values and my beliefs. I could tell you what my, what my you know, priorities were, but I wasn't spending any time on my priorities. Yeah. Uh, that is where uh, discontent and anxiety will start to settle in. And, you know, unfortunately, I spent many years just covering up the angst and masking it with ephemeral things. Which actually creates more anxiety, right? Absolutely. But now I'm at a point where when I start to feel angst, when I start to feel, you know, and I'm still not perfect, but uh, I do know that when I, once I start to have those feelings, that is a sign that I'm not doing what I feel like I should be doing. So then I've got to go through those those values and I've got to ask myself, what am I doing with my time? Am I focusing on health? Am I focusing on relationships? Dude, after breaking my back, 
and not having a good workout routine for 12 weeks, I mean, I still am not back at it yet. Like <laughs> I went to the gym like three times this week, but I'm usually a five to six times a week gym goer. And I have not uh, been able to instill that habit in me yet. And I, but you're ex- reestablishing the routine. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm feeling a lot of angst and I'm feeling anxiety. And uh, I realized that I need to get back to the gym like I was doing where I was feeling much better about my health. So, and that's just one example. So, you know, the question is for you, Paul, are you experiencing angst? Are you experiencing some discontent? If so, that is probably a clear sign. Again, that is a symptom of something much larger that is going on. And you've got to be able to kind of point that out. I think we distract ourselves because we're afraid. Oh yeah. Afraid of boredom. Yeah. Afraid of boredom. And we were just, we just recorded a, um, uh, an episode about simple families with Danae from simplefamilies.com, which will be out probably in July. And the, the fascinating thing that we, we were talking about is um, our kids get bored when they stop asking questions. Mm-hmm. But as adults, I think we stop asking questions because we're afraid of the answers sometimes. Yeah. And we don't have to be afraid of those answers. We can, we can embrace the unknown and we don't have to distract ourselves because distraction provides us with certainty. I can get on to a news site and be certain that I can be outraged within mm. 60 seconds flat. Mm. And that gives me some certainty. It means I don't actually have to deal with my real problems because I can, I can sort of point and stare and, and mock other people's problems. Uh, oh, that's stupid. Why would that politician do this stupid thing? Yeah. Uh, it's not actually affecting my life that much. And, and at least I don't have to give it the power to affect my life that much. And so... I think it's really about removing those distractions, and you're right, Ryan. Those signs of anxiety, overwhelm, the discontent, those are the warning signs that maybe we're pacifying ourselves to death. Totally agree. Bettina asks, when living with your partner, how do you deal with uh, your need for time alone? Well, Ryan doesn't ever need alone time. Neither does Mariah. It's (laughs) like, I know, I, I feel so lucky to be able to spend so much time with her. I've never had a relationship where where A, I've been able to spend every day like a considerable amount of time with my partner every single day. And I've never had a partner where I thoroughly enjoyed their company <laughs> this much every single day. So uh, I do need alone time though sometimes. I mean, I do. Yeah, like I'll go on a walk by myself uh, every once in a while. And it's usually about like, I just need some time to think about some things or I guess I do crave alone time every once in a while. But here's the thing is like, I go out of my way to add value to Mariah's life as much as possible. I mean, every day I ask the question, like, how have I, how have I shown Mariah today that I appreciate her? How have I shown her today that I truly love her? And, and, and again, like appreciate all the things that she does for our relationship. And because I go out of my way to show her appreciation, to show her respect, um, you know, if I ask for something, she's usually pretty, pretty cool with, with, uh, you know, letting me do whatever it is I need to do. You know, you're, you're a significant other your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whomever, uh, your friends even, yeah, they want you to be calmer, more peaceful, more content, if they're really your friends and care about you, right? True. And of course, your spouse better be your friend or you've got uh, some sort of other problem, right? Yeah. And, and so the only difference between a relationship and an intimate relationship is the intimacy, right? Right. And, and so you, you want that person to support you and instead of telling them what you need, you have to tell them why you need it. So the alone time, for me, the way that I communicated with Bex, because 
I need more alone time than she does. Even though she's an introvert like me, I require a lot of alone time. Mm. Right before we started uh, rolling with the, the cameras uh, and, and the mics here, uh, Ryan and I were talking. I, I, there are many days where I probably say fewer than 12 words mm-hmm. in a day, mm-hmm. in an entire day. Mm-hmm. And often those 12 words are to myself, which mm-hmm. I just catch myself talking to myself sometimes. <laughs> I, I'm, of course, saying more words than that in my head. I'm thinking through things. I'm meditating. I'm communicating via text message or whatever. But auditorily, I'm, I'm not communicating with other people because I spend a lot of time alone. And I need that alone time. But I don't just go to Bex and say, I need my alone time. Right. That seems accusatory. Mm-hmm. Hey, here's why I need that alone time. Because... If I have the time to recharge, to regroup, here's how I spend that time to write, to contemplate. Mm-hmm. It's actually useful time for me and it makes our relationship better as a result. And not only am I going to tell you this, but I'm going to show you how that makes our relationship better. And if I can do that, I'm not just saying, Ryan, here's what I need from our relationship. No, here's what I need so I can make our relationship better. Yeah. Last but not least, Gina says, minimalism has helped me loosen up. Before aligning my values and priorities, simple mishaps and mistakes would derail me. I'd feel myself spinning off into a wave of impatience and anger, especially if I felt like the mistake came from somebody else. It's like everyone else's mistakes are their mistakes, but when I make a mistake, it's just... uh, um, Actually, it's, oh, here's another way around. Everyone else's mistakes are bad decisions, but when I make a mistake, it's just a mistake. Just a mistake, yeah. Right. Uh, that's, that's great, Gina. You're recognizing this. Brava. Uh, now, I'm more patient. I look at the positives in each situation and can work out solutions faster than ever. I believe this is because I can see the bigger picture, that the anger is not worth my energy. And that if I remain calm, my mind is free to make better decisions. Amen. So good. However, I'm alone in this so far. (laughs) The people around me behave like I used to behave. They let anger and frustration overtake them when something goes wrong. I'm well aware that Telling someone to calm down is not the answer. I figured that out with Ella, mm-hmm. you know. And and what what she's saying here is like, my friends are acting like children, and most of us act like children a lot of the Happens time, sometimes, right? But how would you suggest handling a situation when you are calm and everyone around you is not? Uh, you can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Yeah, you can't force people to be calm. I mean, you can <laughs> you can you can show people to be calm and you know you can set an example for your friends but i mean the i mean the real answer here is gina is like there's there's nothing you can tell someone who wants to be outraged you can't explain to them hey you shouldn't be outraged if they want to be outraged they're going to be outraged i think about um my mother watched uh a lot of reality tv she used to and and by default i i think she created a lot of drama in her life Oh, was it she recreating it? Yeah, re- like recreating some drama. And like I wow. remember just making an observation one time where she, you know, something dramatic was happening. I'm like, Mom, you know, a lot of the reality TV that you're watching, like it's not real life. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 uh, everything dramatized. And that spills over into your real life. So this fictitious life spills over into your real life. And uh, really, it really did make her kind of question 
the TV that she was watching and the inputs. Yeah, and I didn't. Yeah, the inputs. I didn't necessarily. You know, I don't think that one conversation is what made my mom stop watching uh, uh, reality TV, but she no longer watches it because she did realize that could have been the catalyst, toxic. man. But here's the thing, though: she wanted to change, uh, and that's key. Yeah. Like, if your friends want to change, great. Show them how to change. Give them suggestions. But like, if they don't want to change, Gina, there's no way you can make your friends want to change. And I don't think you're doing this now, Gina. But uh, this, just to point this out to everyone else, is don't reward the outrage right. i think quite often we reward the outrage with uh, matching that outrage and it's not even always outrage it could be uh, when someone comes up to you and says you know oh, this weather's so shitty today and you don't want to reward that with yeah i can't believe right. that like or, yeah stupid political figure it's like yeah. yeah can you believe what right barack trump did right and you're like <clears throat> uh like I'm not going to reward this. Like, here's the thing. Even if I agree with you, and like, yeah, you know what? The rain sucks. Mm-hmm. Maybe I feel that way. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to let you tear me down. I'm not going to let you dictate. Maybe I'm going to I'm going to find something positive in this. Yeah. And someone comes someone comes up to me and they're like, "Can't believe that it's raining out again." I'm like, "Yeah, don't you think we really needed it?" Mm-hmm. Uh, or, "Wow, well, don't you think there's some beauty in the rain?" And mm-hmm. like, you can it requires a little a bit of resistance, mm-hmm. but you mounting that resistance is not going to allow you to get dragged along with their with their misery. Yeah, and that's kind of key, I think, when you're around miserable people is, uh, yeah, don't let them drag you down with their misery. Yes, yes, indeed. Patreon, true fans, thank you so much for being a supporter. It means the world yes. to us. Thank you, thank you so much. Love people, use things. We'll see you next time. The Minimalists. Mm-hmm. <laughs>